Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that we're able to look at your word now. Thank you that you've given us freedom to do that, an opportunity. You know that we have lots of needs as we come to worship you today. And so we pray that you would minister to us by your Holy Spirit. Build us up in our faith. Help us to see Jesus more clearly, love you more fervently, serve you more faithfully. We ask these mercies in his name. Amen. This, left, this week has left me feeling sad, and sad actually about us and our relationships. Not because I'm sad about you, but rather because I have had opportunity to talk to people about discouragement, frustration, pain, abuse, and it reminds me of some of my own struggles but then as I look at you, I think, yeah, it's, it's all over. Uh, we all struggle a great deal. Now, a couple of weeks ago, we started looking at the book of Daniel, did just a quick overview. We want to now look at the section that uh, Jim just read for us. Uh, but we want to ask the question, is there anything in this ancient book that would help struggling people like you and me? That's the question. And I think there is. Um, so, would you please turn in your Bible, Daniel, you know how it's easy to find it. Uh, let your Bible fall open in the middle. Uh, that's roughly the book of Psalms, and then turn right. Uh, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel. Daniel chapter 1. Now, I think that it's pretty easy to see how this chapter is constructed. First of all, there are time markers at the beginning. Notice what it says? Um, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah. And then you get to the end of the chapter and it says, and Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. So the chapter is kind of bounded by those time markers. And then in between, there are some pretty clear breaks. First of all, first two verses, Nebuchadnezzar's plan and God's bigger purposes. And then after that, in verses 3 through 7, what we come to is, well, how Daniel and his friends ever came to live in Babylon. And then verses 8 to 16, what's that part? Uh, hmm, well, that's a part about decision-making. And uh, then 17 to 20, their promotion, God's blessing on them. And then finally, verse 21, just the end of the chapter, and this reference to uh, God's care for Daniel over a long period of time. Now, before we look at this chapter, though, would you just help me uh, a couple of weeks ago, we thought about this room as providing a timeline of history. Remember? Uh, back in this corner is Abraham, 2,000 years ago. And then the cry room is... Very good. And then the... Yes, hold that up, Sam. Yeah, remember that little card? 
All right, so the cry room is David, and then the sound booth is? That would be Jesus. See? And then how about this front corner? Thousand years from Jesus, big church split. And then across the back wall brings us right over here to where we started, 2,000 years now, us. Right? So that's now, if that's a good timeline to remember, where is Daniel? Right there. Yep, the door is going out into the foyer. He's 500 years roughly between King David and the coming of Jesus. All right, that's just practice so we can kind of get him in place. Now, these verses that we just read address a very, very important question. And it's this one. What happens to God's people when through no fault of their own, they find themselves in the middle of a pagan culture? What happens to people like that? And it's really a great answer. Well, let's try to get our heads around um, the lay of the land a little bit. We're told at the first two verses, the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. We think to ourselves, how could that be? Hadn't God given his people Jerusalem and a land of their own? Why would this ever happen? And especially when the Lord said to Abraham and his descendants, I want to bless all the families of the earth. Well, this is a little review, but let's get in mind why this happened. Nebuchadnezzar chooses to besiege Israel, and in the process, he goes to the temple, takes some of the articles of worship, gold, uh, goblets, etc., takes them and he places them in his own temple to his pagan god. That's the background. But please look at the beginning of verse 2. Do you see what it says? And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into, the, into his hand. How does that fit? All right. The covenant is God's promise to his people. If you obey me, I'll bless you. But there is another part of the covenant, and it goes this way. If you disobey me, I will bring my judgment on you. Those two always go together. Lots of times people think, oh, I call myself a Christian. It's going to be smooth sailing. I can live like the devil. Uh, nothing could be farther than the from the truth. You obey me, the Lord says, I'll bless you. You disobey me, and you're going to come against my judgment. And that's what happens now when the Lord gives Jehoiakim into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. <coughs> Jehoiakim was not a faithful king. Idolatry and immorality marked the people of God at this point. 
And so God's judgment is coming on the nation. The Lord said it in Deuteronomy chapter 7. He said, if you disobey me, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to scatter you to the nations. And we find the same thing over in 1 Kings chapter 20. Same idea. Not only will you be scattered, but some of your young men are going to be scattered to Babylon. Anybody that was reading his Bible would have thought to himself, whoa, this is significant. This is serious. But the book of Daniel is not just about broad strokes of history. <clears throat> it's also about the individual lives of Jewish boys, young men, who are forcefully taken into captivity. And so let's just pause for a moment and ask ourselves this question. Are you a follower of Jesus? If you're a follower of Jesus, then wherever you find yourself in your current experience is this. Like Daniel and his friends, God is, in, is superintending all the details of your life. My grandmother used to talk about the details down to the lace curtains. Down to the detail of the details, the Lord is superintending your life. There are no chance happenings. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, for example, Paul says, there's no temptation that's come into your life that's too much, but God is faithful. He will allow you, he won't allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but will with the temptation make a way of escape so that you can bear it. And that idea of the Lord's preserving, guiding hand in our lives is supported by Romans 8, verse 28. We know that God works all things together for good to those who love him, to those who are called according to his purpose. Well, clearly, this siege against Jerusalem was not Daniel's doing. But the larger question is, what was God doing? As I said, the covenant is God's promise that he's going to bless all the peoples of the world. But when God's people say, no, thank you, I don't want to be a blessing, then we end up with this kind of situation. God is going to get the truth of his greatness to the land of Babylon by hook or by crook. If Israel will not faithfully be a blessing, God will move them against their will and place some of his representatives in the land of Babylon because he loves the people of Babylon. You say to me, where's the Bible say that? Good question. How about Psalm 87? Have you looked at that recently? Psalm 87 says, well, we, we sing it. Glorious things of thee are spoken, Zion, city of our God. He whose word shall not be broken, form thee for his own abode. And then if you look at Psalm 87, would you turn to it? It's right in the middle of your Bible. Psalm 87, look at verses 3 and following. What's the Lord say? He says, I am going to mention among those who know me Rahab, Egypt, and Babylon. I'm going to say of them, this one was born in Zion. 
and of Zion it shall be said, this one and that one were born in her. For the Most High himself will establish her. The Lord records as he registers the peoples. This one was born there. What's the picture in Psalm 87? The Lord's got a library. In his library, there's at least this book, the register of the peoples. He's marking down, apparently, those that have come to faith, those that will come to faith. And who's among those people? Babylon. So here we're told something of God's superintending plan over the particular choices that evil King Nebuchadnezzar makes. But we're still after this question, what happens to God's followers when they're in the pressure cooker of a pagan culture? And that brings us to the next section, verses 3 through 7. This is a teaching time now. Nebuchadnezzar says to Aspenaz, his worker, I want you to find the very best of these captives that I've brought back from Israel. I want the best of the best, and I want you to send them to school for three years. Now, as best we can tell, um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel were maybe 13, 14, 15, something like that. Um, and so Nebuchadnezzar says, look at verses 4 and 5, I want you to train them in literature, I want you to train them in Babylonian language, and I want you to also teach them about Babylonian cuisine. See ya? They're going to be immersed in Babylonian thinking and speaking and eating, and not only that, they're also going to be given new names. Now, we know Daniel's name uh, means God is my judge. And similarly, his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they had names that reminded them regularly of God every time the name was pronounced. But now they're given pagan names. Names that remind them not of their godly past, but of their present situation in a pagan society. Well, think about the way sin works. Is sin just kind of an internal thing to you? You know, the Bible talks about the sins that so easily beset us. Are these these secret hidden things that really bug you and you wish you could get over them? No. Sin has its outworkings into culture. So let's just think about that a little bit. Because Daniel and his friends are now in a pressure cooker of life. Let's imagine that a visitor has just landed in Reading. He's come in from Mars. He doesn't know anything about us. And so he's just kind of looking around. What's he see? Well, he sees uh, people driving in their cars, and he says, sees parents playing with their kids and shopping, et cetera, et cetera. And as he's a little more reflective, then he thinks to himself, why do they do these things? Well, because below the surface of the behavior he sees is an inner ring that we might call values. 
these people think that certain behaviors are important. And inside that ring is another one. Uh, this is what they think is good. And then down in the core of the culture is what they think is real. What does Nebuchadnezzar think is real? That he is the king that everybody should serve. So here we have four talented Jewish boys, and they're in exile far from home and far from their families, and Nebuchadnezzar is intent on shaping them into his pagan image. Makes you kind of think about North Korea, doesn't it? What's the force of the government in North Korea to shape everybody like the God, king that they worship? That's the way it was for Nebuchadnezzar. That's the way it was for these boys. Nebuchadnezzar wants them to forget all about their God-given identities. And so just look at verse 6 now. What does that tell us? Well, it says that these were from the tribe of Judah. What do we know about the tribe of Judah? Well, a little bit. Um, when Jacob was dying, he brought in his sons and he blessed them. And uh, when he came to Judah, he said this about him. He said, the, the, the scepter will not depart from Judah nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until Shiloh comes and to him shall be the obedience of the nations. Jacob's blessing on Judah is that somebody was going to come through that tribe who was going to have the power to influence the nations. And these boys stand in that line. They're to be a blessing wherever the Lord takes them. So let me ask you, where's the Lord placed you? Where are you? I mean, what are the relationships to which the Lord has invested in you. What is there about the culture in which you find yourself that creates great pressure for you? Draw you away from the Lord. Who are you? What's your real identity? If you're a follower of Christ, you belong first and foremost to him, right? No matter what the pressures are, you're called to follow him. And so what happens when God's people live in a pagan society and there's great pressure to conform to pagan ideas? Well, what we've seen so far is something about Nebuchadnezzar's intent, but God superintending Nebuchadnezzar. And we've seen how Daniel and his friends end up in Babylon and a little bit about what life is like for them there but we want to now push the question what happens when God's people are under the pressure cooker of a pagan environment and verses 8 and following help us this is decision time what happens verse 8 tells us that Daniel resolved that he would not be defiled 
with the king's food and wine. Nebuchadnezzar says, I want you to give these young uh, apprentices the best food of Babylon. And Daniel says no. Now, we don't really know why. Uh, there's some speculation that we'll touch on in just a minute, but maybe it was that Nebuchadnezzar liked um, bacon and pork chops. Um, maybe he liked scrapple, and that, that those were fundamental to the diet. We don't know. Um, all we do know is that Daniel says, no, I'm not doing it. And the way that Daniel approaches the subject is important. But what I want to say, first of all, is that it's possible, and this is what some commentators conjecture, it's possible that the reason that Daniel says, I don't want it, is because those foods were first sacrificed to idols. And it would be a, uh, an endorsement of idolatry. Well, what will Daniel do? It's a wonderful lesson. You know, the fifth commandment belongs to all of us, doesn't it? It says, uh, honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land which the Lord your God gives you. The Lord has created an authority structure in our world, and what's our responsibility? We're to submit ourselves to those who are in authority over us, right? Now, I suppose Daniel could have pouted in the corner, said, I'm not eating this stuff. But he doesn't. What does he do? He goes to the eunuch that's in charge of him, and he says, um, is there some way around this? And uh, the person who's responsible for him says, I'm scared that you're even suggesting that I give you a different diet. Because if the king sees that you look shabby, he may take my head off. And I'm very concerned about that. And so Daniel says, verses 11 and 12, well, let's do a test. Uh, the test is this. Just give us veggies and water. Spinach, okra, green beans, maybe some tomatoes. They aren't exactly a vegetable, but uh, just give us veggies and test us for 10 days. Now, what we want to see in this is not so much what Daniel is proposing as the attitude with which he goes to this man who's responsible for him. He's submissive to him. And so the, uh, the steward says, okay, uh, I'll do it. Let's try you out for 10 days. And what's, what's one of the applications that comes out of this? Eat your spinach, right? Not just that. Rather, take opportunity to submit yourself to the people that the Lord has placed over you. Kids, obey your parents. That's what comes out of this. Big kids, submit yourself to your employer. Everybody, honor the Lord. That's how Daniel approached his difficulty. And what happens is God's going to make a way where there seems to be no way. So let me ask you then, what are the pressures that you're feeling? Where are you tempted to give in to behavior that you know will displease the Lord? 
You don't have to have it your way. You can trust him instead. And so commit yourself to honoring the Lord and honor those who he's placed in authority over you. Now, what we've done is we've looked at Nebuchadnezzar and his intent and God superintending what's going on. We've touched on how Daniel and his friends ended up in Babylon and what life was like for them. And we've seen how Daniel stays true to the Lord. The next section is verses 17 to 20. The Lord works in and through this situation so that Daniel is promoted. He and his friends are both promoted. They're recognized. Uh, do you see it there at the end of verse 20? Nebuchadnezzar found them 10 times better than the others in their kingdom. You say, why 10 times better? Well, it makes me think about an Olympic uh, gymnastics uh, competition, you know? person does a floor routine and then the mar numbers go up and the closer you get to 10 the closer you are well it's a number in the bible that represents completion uh 10 commandments right uh 10 talents 10 lepers tens tens run through the bible how did this happen daniel and his friends committed themselves to serving the lord that's it, plain and simple. And out of that, the Lord blesses them. And so a question before us is this one. What happens when the Lord's to the Lord's followers when they are in the presence of this pressure cooker of, of uh, a pagan culture? And what is there in this passage that might help us get a handle on how we deal with this kind of problem? What's the Bible say about life for Jesus? What was it like for life? What was life, life like for Jesus? The Bible tells us that he was abused. The Bible tells us that he was rejected. The Bible tells us that uh, he had all manner of bad things happen to him because of his faithfulness to the Lord. Uh, who for the joy before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the Father. That's what life was like for Jesus. We see it in a small measure here in Daniel. We see it in magnified form when we think about Jesus. So what do these boys do? Well, they engage the culture of which they're a part. That's one thing. They submit to the authority of those who are over them, uh, but they refuse to be defiled by the culture. And they do that because God has positioned them to be a blessing to those around them in Babylon that desperately need the Lord. So let me ask you then, by way of analogy, where has the Lord placed you? What's it like in your home? 
people with whom you rub shoulders every day? Uh, what's it like if you're a student at school? Uh, what's it like in your work? What's it like with your neighbors? Well, Jesus has said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who's in heaven. And Jesus has promised to be with you every step of the way. He said, I will never leave you or forsake you. You have the Holy Spirit as a down payment. You've been given the Holy Spirit so that you can be all that the Lord intends you to be. And Jesus has called you to make a difference in this world. So we've looked at Nebuchadnezzar, his intent in God's greater plan. Uh, we've thought about Daniel and his friends, how they arrived in Babylon and how they were trained in Babylon. We see decision time where they say, we're not going to defile ourselves. And they stay true to the Lord, and as a result, they're promoted. There's one little piece left. You see it? Verse 21. Daniel, in his time in Babylon, we're told, he continues until the first year of King Cyrus. How long was that? Anybody know? Pardon? Yeah, about 70 years. Imagine that. We don't have any record of Daniel ever going home. He was captive. He was exiled. And he stayed faithful to the Lord for 70 years under great, great pressure. How come? Well, there are a couple things that we can say, and we ought to trace this, I think, through the chapter. First of all, look at verse 2. What's it say? The Lord gave Jehoiakim into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. And then skip down to verse 9. What's it say? God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And then look at verse 19. What's it say? God gave them, that is Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, learning and skill. The Lord sustained these boys in this pressure cooker, even though they were far from home, even though I'm sure they were encompassed by fear and loneliness and confusion. And that same Lord who cared for them is Lord over all who call upon him today, like you. You can call upon the Lord, and Jesus, who has been raised from the dead, has promised to be for you all you need him to be. He's in the business, actually, of making you just like himself. So, you know, I said at the beginning, as I've thought about our life together, disappointments, hurts, abuse, confusion, sickness, uh, in my sadness, I want to remind you what's been an encouragement to me. Jesus is with us and we can entrust ourselves to his care and I hope you will so what happens to followers of Christ who are placed in a pagan society that's all against them well here's the answer God gives us grace so that we can engage the culture in which we've been placed God gives us grace through Jesus so that we can remain undefiled by the culture that would so much like to engulf us. And God gives us grace through Jesus 
so that we can be a blessing to those that the Lord brings across our path. And that is the message of Daniel chapter 1. Lord, thank you for your word. We pray that you'd bless it to us. Encourage us, we pray. Remind us again and again that we have a great Savior who's ascended into the heavenlies and is praying for us and is helping us as we withstand pressures like those that Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego encountered. We ask these mercies in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're going to say